This is a one and all media podcast. Powerhouses, these homes where children emerge with strength and vitality and confidence. And according to the Bible, these powerhouses all begin with who you choose to marry. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. We're starting a brand new series today called Powerhouse. Now, Pastor Jeff says it's about building your home into a powerhouse based on God's plan. He's starting with a message about finding your soulmate and the challenges we face in marriage. Here's Pastor Jeff reading from Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you or an iPhone, iPad, whatever it is, I'm in Ephesians chapter 5 as we begin this new series. And as we start the new series, I just wonder if any of you uh, heard of the name uh, Mark Henry when it comes to powerlifting, okay? Anybody heard of All right, some of you have. By the time he finished high school, uh, he already uh, was a three-time Texas state champion, and he held state records in all four categories of powerlifting. He was able to squat 832 pounds. He was able to bench press 525 pounds. Wow. And deadlift 815 pounds. At the time, he was considered to be the strongest man in the world. And he has so many medals, there's not enough time, really, at least at this juncture, to talk about all of his awards. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame eventually. He was described as a powerhouse of a man. And he was once asked, what is the most important part of the body when it comes to powerlifting? What do you think he said? He said the feet and the ankles and the lower leg. He said you work from the ground up. So without a strong foundation and strong core, no matter how much strength you have in the upper body, you'll never rise to the level of a champion. Now, we're beginning a new series called Powerhouse. And let me point out to you, it is a series which means during this message, you're going to think, yeah, but pastor, what about this? And you didn't talk about that. And what about that? It's a series, which means we can't deal with every topic in one message. So you have to come back. This is perhaps one of the most important series that we've done in a long time because the verdict is in. We have enough research now in humanity to tell us one simple truth. As the home life goes, so you go. And so society goes. In fact, we now know that so much of your happiness, effectiveness, productivity, vitality is based on the kind of home in which you were raised. We know this now with certainty. What you experienced in your home life will go with you through the rest of your life. And some of the impacts will be known and some will be hidden and will not be pried open till you experience some kind of traumatic event in your life and somebody digs down deep to find out why you think the way that you think, why you respond the way that you respond. Because after 50, 60 years of research now, we know that everything from your temperament to your talent, from your maturity to your mentality, the way you see the world, is produced by those early days 
in this institution called the family. Folks, the family impact on you is so deep that according to the Urban Children's Institute, the home environment can even affect a child's brain development. Your brain development. And according to the Scientific Medical Journal, many decades of research have documented the psychological consequences of a, in adulthood, including struggles with depression and difficulties maintaining relationships. New studies are finding that a troubled home life has profound effects on neural development. This is what I tried to say a few months ago when I said that now we know that mental illness can be even associated with your home life. The environment in which you were raised can lead to mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. Your brain chemistry can actually be altered by your environment. Now, nobody knows this better than God, the one who instituted marriage in the family. But until you and I acknowledge that God does not give his law and precepts arbitrarily, that he gives it or those precepts based on his love as a loving father for you, you and I will continue to go our own way and we will get the same result as everybody else in our marriages, in raising our children, and in our families. There has to come a point in your life when you say, is there an objective point of reference that I can consult if I want to know what is appropriate when I am dating, when I get married, when I have children? If you just read all the popular books about these things, then you're going to go the way of everyone else. You have to come to a, a point where you say, you know what? I'm going to stop reading secondary resources and I'm going to go to the primary source. Is there objective truth somewhere that I can consult and understand so that I have the best chance of success in building powerhouses, these homes where children emerge with strength and vitality and confidence to make a significant mark on their world. And according to the Bible, these powerhouses all begin with who you choose to marry. It all starts with marriage, where a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Now, let me pause again just for a moment. This is a series. Who's it for? Everyone. We're going to address every topic, but we can't do it in one sermon. This series is for singles and married and divorced and remarried and married with children, married without children, married but wished you were not, <laughs> married but beginning to wonder if you made a mistake, unmarried with no desire to be married, Single and wanting desperately to be married. It's for everyone, you got it? In fact, we're going to focus on singles primarily next week. And if you're married, don't you dare say, well, I'm going to miss that week because the singles have to put up with you every week. They come to the marriage series. We need you to come to the single series because truth impacts everyone no matter where you are. And the purpose of powerhouse is to give you clear biblical instruction on how to create these powerhouses that will raise little champions and provide the abundant life that Christ wants you to live if you're willing to know that what he teaches is objective truth that comes from the Father so that you can live an abundant life. Now, let me just stop one more time and give you a little frustration here. The problem when we address issues like this, the family, marriage, divorce, singleness, is that 
uh, no matter what we do or say, someone's going to be wounded. There's going to be some frustration. And I go back to my New Zealand days. We were about to launch a conference called The Fatherhood of God. And I was asked to bring a series of five messages on the fatherhood of God. We were two days out before the conference was going to start. And someone on the continuation committee said, by the way, I think we have the wrong title for this conference. Two days before it starts. We ask why. And here's what she said. Well, I think if you refer to the fatherhood of God, some people didn't have good fathers, so that's going to offend them. Now, folks, this is the world in which we live now. We have become so PC that we've gone loony. Uh, if, I, if I refuse to talk about anything that might offend somebody, I just should stop right now. When you're dealing with truth, there's always a group of people who have not really obeyed the precepts of Scripture. And one of the reasons they're in church is to find some clue to life. So if I give you the precepts set out in Scripture to build powerhouses, there are going to be people who feel a little maybe guilty that they didn't make these decisions, or they're going to feel a little shame that this is not the way they went. But remember, the gospel forgives all sin and can restore us. And any marriage right now that's in trouble, if two people want to make it work, there are biblical principles to employ in your marriage that you can have the marriage you've always wanted. But the wrong thing to do would not be to talk about it because you've got a whole young generation that is waiting for somebody to give them instructions from the biblical word of God. They can choose to disagree or agree or not, but at least give them the chance to hear it and make changes in their lives. Now, if it's true that powerhouses all begin in marriage, then we've got a problem from the get-go, don't we? Somebody's described marriage like this. Marriage is where two flawed people come together in hopes of creating homes of marital and familial bliss. Now, how does that math work? Two significantly flawed people come together in anticipation of perfect marital bliss. So, what hope do we really have? I mean, if I'm going to build something that's a powerhouse, you would think I would start with good material. In marriage, we start with two flawed people who have been raised by two other flawed people. And it keeps passing on down the line. That's why the first decision you have to make when it comes to building power homes or powerhouses is this. You've got to denounce or refuse to believe the one true love myth. The one true love myth that there's only one true love out there and you only got one shot at it. And the thought is that once I meet the right person, everything is going to be just fine. Marriage will be easy because I will be married to my soulmate, the right one. You're living in a dream world. I told you a few months ago, someone that I just met asked me the question, how is your marriage going? I thought that was a, an interesting first question. And then I told you my immediate response without really thinking, I said, Great, but I can't believe we made it. That was my response. Because my wife and I are total opposites. We talk about this all the time. We have almost nothing in common, but the most crucial thing in common. When you marry, I promise you, the one you married is going to be a challenge. And I promise you that you're going to be a challenge. Because you're bringing all your flaws and misconceptions into this relationship. If you were to go right now and talk to my wife and you were to say, Robin, do you love Jeff? Here's what she'd say. Yes, I love Jeff. And then you might say, are there challenges? And she would say, is the Pope Catholic? 
And then she would say, Jeff can be tender and compassionate and loving, but he can also be inconsiderate, narcissistic, and downright idiotic. In fact, I know that my wife has made this statement on more than one occasion. She said, I just don't understand how someone so smart can be so stupid. (laughs) Do you know what that's called? Honesty. She's being honest. Now, if you were to come to me and you were to say, Jeff, do you love your wife, Robin? I would say yes. And then you would say, are there any challenges? And I would say no. (laughs) I would say she's incredibly lovable and perfect in every way. Do you know what that's called? Wisdom. That's called wisdom. It took me 30 years to learn it, but I learned it. Anytime two people meet, fall in love, pursue marriage, an interesting dynamic begins to take place because you think that everything's going to be all right when you meet the right person. And when you meet the right person and you get married and things begin to be challenging, you start to assume this. Oh no, I married the wrong right person. That's what you think. You begin to think that you are unhappy because you're obviously with the wrong right person. And so you begin to make decisions based on this belief. What decisions? Well, Christian girls will often stay in the marriage because of the stigma that divorce carries with it. But they stop working on the marriage and just go through the motions, which over time destroys the heart of the husband. Or they pour their lives into their kids to cope with their overwhelming search for intimacy, love, and acceptance that they feel they're not getting from their husband. Or they will emotionally leave the relationship and seek to connect with substitutes like friends, family, or even church groups. Christian men do the same thing, only they try to find a sport or a recreation or hobby or friends who will affirm them and give them what they think they're never going to get from their wife. This can happen within the first year of marriage even. And then both become engaged in a vicious cycle. He retreats because she's uninterested. She's uninterested because he retreats. And then these two people are smart enough to bring children into the mix. And they think that the children will not notice the lack of intimacy between mom and dad. And that even if they do, it will not impact them in any way. Psychology Today tells us this. Now, notice I'm not quoting from the Bible yet. This is just secular psychology says, no matter how hard we may try to conceal problems, children are sensitive to the tensions between their parents and are directly influenced by the way their parents interact. When parents' own emotional needs are met, they offer their children a sense of stability and security from which to experience the world. A parent's happiness allows children to feel happy and to trust the parent to meet their emotional needs. When you emotionally disengage from your spouse, the kids know it, and it impacts them greatly, and the problem is not that you married the wrong right one. Marriage is not like the very best Marigold Hotel. Do you remember that movie? There was a running line to the movie, and the running line was this. Everything will be all right in the end, Therefore, if everything's not all right, it's not yet the end. We approach marriage like this. If I marry the right one, everything will be fine. So if everything's not fine, I've married the wrong right one. There's a Greek word for that, bulloni. (laughs) Now, here's here's the worst part. And I told you, we're, we're kind of building the stage here. Many people believe 
that when I meet the right one, I am now going to be fine. Once I meet the right one, I am going to be fine. And all these issues and flaws that I've brought into the marriage because of the dysfunction in my own family, they're just going to disappear and go away. All these habits. So this desire of spending sprees that I have, that'll just dissipate because I found the right one. This porn addiction that I've had will dissipate because now I'll be married. These feelings of insecurity and depression, they'll all disappear because I, after all, I've married the right one. And when I marry the right one, I'll be fixed. Thinking that we will be fixed by someone else is insanity. And after 35 years of marriage counseling, I can tell you that the opposite happens. You will actually spend more because that's your go-to when you feel unfulfilled. You will increase your porn addiction because that's what you think will make you feel better when you feel rejected by your wife or your husband. You will experience even a greater depression because the one you thought would save you is now adding to your depression and frustration. And this is not just theory to me. Nobody teaches us, guys. We don't go to some kind of training school to know how to be husbands. And I can tell you for a fact, even though I was raised in a Christian home, there are things you don't know that are going to happen. When the second child came along, Delaney, then Sion, men, have you noticed? Your wife changes because she's focused on taking care and raising these children. And so you start to feel neglected. You start to feel a little bit unwanted. She used to spend a lot of time with you, but now she's worn out from trying to raise these two kids. So what happens mentally in the mind of the man is he feels rejected, so he goes to his go-to, whatever it is, which causes this vicious cycle. My go-to is to work and to find my significance and appreciation in my job and to be effective. So at this point when Robin needs me the most, I'm out working 80 hours a week because that's the way I'm dealing with what I sense to be rejection. She feels rejected now because I'm not helping her anymore. I'm not being the husband I need to be, and it is a recipe for disaster. And all of this is fueled by the great relational myth that when I find the right one, everything will just be fine and we'll have no problems. You don't need to find the right person, you need to become the right person. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires so much more. And this is where following Jesus becomes such an advantage. Because the Bible tells us the sins of the parents are visited on the next generation and the next generation. And you and I hear that and we think, yeah, that's abuse and alcoholism and sexual abuse and gambling and drug addiction because those are especially debilitating. But the Bible goes beyond that into the fact that we all are flawed. We all experience things in our family that we take with us into the next family. Bitterness, unforgiveness, fleshly pursuits, significance addiction. We are all flawed and experience every flaw under the sun. So let me give you an example of this. Let me talk about women flaws. Just for a second. I believe that in the beginning of a marriage, and this is, through, this is through time and test, okay? At the beginning of the marriage, I have seen that women are more able to love unconditionally than a man is in the beginning. But part of the reason is because women, when they get married, have a plan. 
And the plan is to mold their husband into the man that he ought to be. Come on now. So I think ultimately men marry above their heads. Most men marry way above their heads. They do. And it's because their wives have settled. You're the closest. They think that they're going to be able to come to what they need. But they know that with a few years of work and character development, you can become the man that they've always wanted. That's how they enter the marriage. Women are powerful crafters of character. Uh, one of my favorite bands, the Eagles, has a song called Lion Eyes. And there's a, a verse that goes like this. City girls just seem to find out early how to open doors with just a smile. Okay. Let me just stop right there, except to say wives are powerful crafters. They don't even have to say anything. They can get things done with just a look. Now, the problem is they don't know that men are incredibly slow learners. So, I mean, they're so slow that sometimes they appear to move backwards. Sometimes the earth's rotation seems faster than our ability to read the mind of the women we've married. And women believe that through mind control, through just thoughts, that we will respond. What they don't understand is that men are the worst mind readers on the planet. And they keep passing it down to generation after generation. I see my son Delaney, who's been married a couple of years, and I watch him. And because we're in close proximity, I see the looks his wife Jess gives him. Now, I've been married 35 years. I can translate that look. He has no clue. He's 30 years away from knowing what that means. But she thinks he already should know. That's not the way it happens. We are slow, so slow, you can't really imagine. My friend, I've got a friend who married an American, but he's uh, overseas. Uh, he's from another country. And he says that uh, he came out at his honeymoon wearing Speedos. And no man should wear Speedos, ever. <laughs> and his wife saw these Speedos, and she did uh, what any wife would do. She tried to communicate to him through uh, a kind of a control manipulation feature, and, and she threw all of his Speedos away, <laughs> thinking he would get the hint, if she's thrown all my Speedos away, I should go buy different swimming trucks. Do you think he got the message? Absolutely not. I mean, these signs on the side of the road that say slow men working, they're not kidding. They really mean slow men working. That's what they mean. You say, okay, Jeff, if what you're saying is true, what hope do we have? If marriage is the beginning of a new family, and if the health of the new family greatly impacts the lives of everyone involved, and the two who come together to form this new home are incredibly flawed, what chances of survival do we have? What chance of creating powerhouses is there really? And the answer is, without a roadmap and a plan from the marriage and family designer, slim to none. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. When I'm gonna try to be a better husband, when I'm gonna try to create a powerhouse, the first question I need to ask is not, how are other people doing it? How are they relating to each other that is successful? But the foundation, how does God relate to me? Aren't you glad that God does not treat you like we treat each other.
You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.